I'm Dan Scotty, and this is Who I Am. Dan, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. Yeah, thank you. Um, I've been following your work for a long time now. I can't even remember when I first saw it, but I think it might have been nearly 10 years ago. So I think it, it probably was. Yeah. I, I first started publishing my, my first comic, uh, The Foul, when I was still in high school. And I was, uh, that would have been 2006 or seven, I think. Oh, wow. Yeah. And now it's it's later. <laughs> it's much much later. Um, so uh, you grew up in was it Texas? I was born in Austin, Texas, uh-huh. and uh, spent my teenage years in San Diego, California. Oh, okay. Mm. How was that? How was uh, how, how how when did you move, and and how was that move? I moved when I was fourteen. It was definitely a shock because mm. um, I in Austin everything. Everything's very green. You know, mm-hmm. we, we lived out, uh, we lived sort of outside of Austin. Our house is in this big cedar forest. I could walk to a waterfall. Mm-hmm. And even though San Diego is a very beautiful city and, you know, it's a great vacation spot, <laughs> it's, the whole thing is paved. Yeah. And, and there's something like three dozen trees in the whole of San Diego County. <laughs> and so it was, it was a real, uh, it, it felt like a, a very sparse move. Yeah. And uh, all of a sudden I was surrounded by a lot more wealth than I was before uh-huh. and different types of people. So it was, I think it was ultimately pretty enriching, but also I, I think it's also the reason why um, the smart, alienated people being weirded out by sketchy, very rich people is a theme in my work. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, did, were, you, were you drawing back then? Were you making comics when, when you're in Texas and yeah, I, uh, when I was a kid, I made these probably two, two to four page comics on blue lined paper mm-hmm. that, uh, I would copy on my mom's photocopier. Uh, my, my mom, uh, had a, a records management business. So she had a, a photocopier mm-hmm. at our home and, uh, I'd make copies and I went around to the other houses in our neighborhood trying to sell them for 25 cents. Mm-hmm. Um, and they were, they were just like, you know, goofy kids, characters like Gadget Man and (laughs) Captain Democracy and things like that. Mm -hmm. Um, I I actually found them recently. My, my mother was moving and, uh, I found, I found a big, uh, purple, uh, paper folder full of just these, these, uh, you know, eight to 11 year olds comic books it was really cool yeah i'm better now (laughs) um why did you move what what brought about the move Uh, my father uh, was an academic Uh he uh he worked at the university of texas at austin for most of my life and then at uh you know around about 2003 or 4 he was offered a chance to start a new management school at ucsd Mm mm-hmm 
San Diego is also where my mother is from. She's from La Mesa. Hmm. And, uh, and so, you know, it was a chance for her to be closer to her parents. I was going to start high school anyway, so it was a natural jumping off point. Mm-hmm. So it all kind of kind of lined up from their perspective. Yeah. And did it was, you... it's a good move too. I um, I never spent much time with my grandfather before. He was a, a jazz musician back oh, right. in Oklahoma in the in the thirties and forties, and I feel like I got a lot of I don't know creative confidence from hanging out with him. Yeah. Wow. What was a, a jazz music? Do you play music? Do you, are you musical in any way or? I am. I'm not at all. In fact, the the one thing that <laughs> the, the one time I saw my dad give up on something, it was trying to teach me piano. <laughs> um, did you study art, or was it just that you were doing it anyway, and it was like a progressive thing for you, a natural progressive thing? It was definitely a, a natural progressive thing. I like I, I took some high school art classes, but I, I didn't. I didn't study art. I didn't go to, to an art college, for instance, or, mm-hmm. or even take any art classes at the short time I was in college. Yeah. The all of uh, all of the, the comics acumen I have came from seeking out mentors and advice. Mm-hmm. Um, and I've, I've been very lucky with that. And I was I sometimes wonder if things would be different if I had gotten a formal art education. You know, if I had learned to draw digitally before 2016, mm-hmm. you know, uh, or if I had just learned more things about, you know, value and composition, but I also kind of like the homegrown ad hoc way of drawing that I have. Mm. So it's more of it's more of speculative fiction than a real, you know, hope and a wish. Mm-hmm. With your, with um, you mentioned the foul, and I think that was the first book that I, um, I mean, that was the first one that you you put out as a in high school, and uh, I, you did it very DIY, and um, were, were you writing and drawing and doing everything on them, weren't you? Or that's right. Yeah, was that just out of necessity, or was that something that you wanted to do? You wanted to be that um, involved in the, the all aspects of creativity. Both, really. Um, I, I, uh, so I, I always loved making comics. And in fact, comics was the one thing that I would devote, um, study to, mm-hmm. uh, like, uh, a proactive study. Uh, I was, I was a horrible student. Um, and, uh, and I, I, I to, to this day, I, I have a very poor attention span for things that don't interest me, but finding out how comics work, learning the history of the medium, learning, like, obviously, I got into it as a fan when I was a kid. I, I wanted to just know the history of Doctor Strange or what have you. Mm-hmm. But then as I you know, became a teenager and then an adult, I was interested in, you know, what what methods of making comics we get from what countries, what was the business like that started the medium, what are the lives of the creators like? Mm-hmm. And it it became this this obsession, learning not just how to how to physically do the task how to how to learn the skills to make comics but to learn everything about it hmm. and and being in san diego did you feel like that was uh, like a, a ground central because they have the the big convention there and and uh, it, it's like a pooling of all of these of, of like a very global sense of uh, a comics community there well for the for the six days that the 
that people were in town for the convention, you know, back in the back in the mid two thousands, it was it was definitely comics hub. But then there's you know three hundred and some other days of the year where it just tumbleweeds. Yeah. <laughs> uh, although it, it was a San Diego artist who really who I, I kind of credit with getting me started in comics. Um, mm. When I made my first issue of The Foul, I didn't know what to do with it, and uh, and so I reached out to. Batten Lash, the uh, creator, artist, writer of Supernatural Law, mm-hmm. also the writer of Archie Meets the Punisher, yeah. uh, who uh, I had met at a blood drive the year before. <laughs> he, was, uh, he was drawing uh, spooky caricatures of people who gave blood, mm-hmm. uh, incentive to get people into the blood bank. And uh, he had given me uh, a copy of Supernatural Law just, just for just for sitting and talking here, kid, have a comic book. Mm-hmm. And I sent his email and I, I asked him for advice. So he invited me down to his studio in downtown San Diego. It was this really cool walk up in between a, an Italian restaurant and I think a sex shop. <laughs> and it, it, you, you walked up this narrow staircase into this uh, carpeted landing where there are these glass uh, offices. There's you know a travel agency and I think a private eye or something. And then there's Batten Studio, which was uh, this high-ceilinged room full of monster movie memorabilia and you know uh, original art and you know a Will Eisner drawing and things like that. Mm. And I, it, it really, it felt kind of tangible to yeah. me for the first time. Uh, and he he gave me advice like you know, don't be precious with your work. Get advice for whoever you can. Mm-hmm. Uh, know that what you're doing now isn't your best work and and don't don't fall in love with what you're doing just push forward mm-hmm. and i really credit that with giving me kind of a a more realistic idea of what it would take to get into this business mm-hmm. hmm. so that way san diego was hugely beneficial and and maybe that way alone yeah you you also mentioned um you said there were some other mentors and who were the people that you were what what were the, what were the creators at that time that were really inspiring you and and uh, uh, what what work were you into at that point? When I was a teenager, I like every teenager who likes comics. I was really into Frank Miller and Mike Mignola, mm-hmm. uh, but I also really loved Kevin O'Neill. Um, mm. League of Extraordinary Gentlemen is one of my favorite comics ever, and I really wanted to replicate the way that O'Neill was able to make. Uh, even though he he draws in an exaggerated cartoony style, he's able to create this feeling that you're seeing something you'd only heard about in reality for the first time. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I, I I loved I loved the anxiety in his work. Mm. <laughs> and it's really studying those three artists, and of course Bruce Timm, because every 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 person who watched the Batman animated series loves Bruce Timm. Mm-hmm. Um, following. Learning about those creators made me like learning about Frank Miller made me learn about Wally Wood, mm-hmm. and learning about uh, you know Bruce Tan made me learn about Harvey Kurtzman, and uh, learning about anybody teaches you about Will Eisner, and so I, I kind of expanded my influences that way, mm-hmm. and I I started to realize that there was more to comics than you know guys in goggles shooting at zombies with guns. <laughs> Um, and, and I, I would go to every convention I could. I would just put my comics down in front of people, 
mm-hmm. and say, hey, what am I doing wrong? Uh, help me out. Um, one of my favorite such experiences was when I met uh, Tony DeZuniga, I think is how you say his name, the legendary Jonah Hex artist. Uh-huh. At, uh, um, I think that was Wizard. No, not Wizard World. It was... Um, Oh, it doesn't matter. It was the convention that used to be in San Francisco, and now it's in Anaheim. Oh, okay. Uh, uh, WonderCon. WonderCon. Thank yes. you. Mm-hmm. Anyway, that W. <laughs> and uh, Tony Dezenega was very, very old at that time. Uh-huh. And uh, and he, he didn't really want to talk to me, but this other cartoonist, Robert Roach, had kind of taken me under his wing and had brought me over and like, hey, like, tell this kid something. And uh, so I put down a copy of, of The Foul in front of him. This is one of the one of the subsequent issues mm-hmm. and he, he was looking at it and he's, he's like, he's not, he's not really into talking and he's just, he's barely moving and he starts looking at it and then he kind of starts like nodding, he's flipping some pages and then he takes out a pen and starts on top of the pages, redrawing the panels, how I should have drawn them. <laughs> <laughs> and he's getting more and more animated and he's, uh, like in, in that ten minutes, I feel like I I became like two years better an artist. Just mm. real simple things like w- what you have here is only a drawing of a man running. What does that tell us? No, break the panel. Have him be have him be have his have his feet be really far apart. Let us see the momentum of him. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it kind of like it it made me understand the opera you need to inject into a comic to make it feel real. Mm-hmm. Um, little things like that. Did you find that? Um, I mean, studying and 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 looking at the work of of all those creators and having done stuff when you were younger, did you have a moment where you froze up, or were you were you instantly driven to to create and instantly like saying, okay, this is what I want to do, this is how I'm going to do it? Or it's a funny thing. I feel like every successfully creative person oscillates between those two things. Mm-hmm. <laughs> And uh, I, I definitely got lucky when it came to talking to people in person. I, I've just always been sort of precocious in that way. And every once in a while, there'll be somebody who I'd, I'd freeze up around. And it's, it's random who it is, too. Like, there, there, are, there are artists who I don't ad- admire as much as artists I have no trouble talking to, mm-hmm. who I then have a lot of trouble talking to. Like, I, I, I can... I could talk to, to Tim Sale or uh, Bill Sinkovich or whatever when I was 18 or 19, but I tried to talk to uh, Kelly Pluckett mm-hmm. and, and it, like, I, I froze up. It was crazy. Um, so, um, I, uh, wow, I, I meant to say Rick Burchette, not Kelly Pluckett. That was, uh, <laughs> sorry. <laughs> um, my, my brain's going too fast. Um, but when, when it came to creating my own work, uh, I think I definitely benefited from a a lack of um, self awareness early on, because uh-huh. uh, like pol- vigilantes fighting voodoo priests is not something I do today because I I just I know too much about culture. Mm-hmm. But uh, definitely being younger and dumber and being willing to jump into really tropey stuff like that mm. uh, was really helpful because it got me going and it, and it gave me. You know, it, it made me create earlier on, so I could learn by doing. Yeah. Was that the first foul story, or was that a character that you'd played with before? Uh, that uh, I'm, I'm definitely thinking of the foul while talking there. And there's, <laughs> there's a bunch of like 
half-finished things kind of in that vein that came before. The Foul was just the first one that made it past the finish line. Uh-huh. Um, I, I remember speaking to you ages ago and saying to you, um, I, I can't remember how many, I got like four or five um, like very DIY copies of the Foul, of different Foul comics and um, saying to you, you know, if, do you have any plans of creating a collected edition or doing anything with all of the older stuff? And, and you kind of said, well, it's done. You know, I've done this and, and now I'm doing other stuff. Um, is that something that you, you, you mentioned as well about not being precious with your, your work? And it's, is that something you see with your, your early work as being something that is just steps towards what you're doing now? Or do you ever look back on it? or? Oh, I, I do from time to time. I think it's really valuable too. Um, mm-hmm. And whenever I do, I try to do it with somebody else. Like uh, one of the f- one of the first. Uh, I, I live in Indianapolis now, mm-hmm. uh, and I I moved here to be with my girlfriend Jackie Crofts. Uh, we we met at a at Rose City in Portland a couple years back, uh, and one of the first times I visited her, I brought this collection of old foul comics. Mm-hmm. And uh, and we just sat down and went through it because not only was it useful for me to you know, look at these other stories and kind of see where I was coming from, but also looking at comics you used to do reminds you what was going on in your life at the time. Yeah, and little, little things like I could point to uh, I could point to a character and be like, oh, that's that's supposed to be this guy from this movie or this is based on my friend Johnny or something like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so it's, it's a way for her to learn about my life. Yeah. Um, and I, I, I get something new out of it when I sit down with somebody and go over an old comic of mine or theirs. Yeah. It's one of my favorite sort of uh, informal interview type things to do. <laughs> um, and you can't, you can't forget the stuff you used to do. Otherwise, yeah. you'll go over the same ground, or you'll just forget a lesson, or you'll lose hold of the rope. You got to remember where you've come from. Yeah. Uh, what What came next after you were doing the foul? And was it San Hannibal? Was that the the next? Uh, yeah, San San Hannibal was the the next big thing. That was my that was the first comic that I'd worked on that got um, nationally distributed or uh-huh. internationally distributed through Diamond. Yeah which was a, a huge deal. It was um, it was the first thing I'd done that wasn't really a superhero thing, mm-hmm. even though it has kind of elements of that in it. Uh, it was it was my stab at something that was a little more adult. Right. Uh, and even though when I read it, I can I can tell it's, you know, what a what a guy in his earlier 20s thought an adult like cool edgy comic would be. <laughs> I also think that it has a lot. I think it it, it has I think it's got a lot of good stuff in it, mm-hmm. and I'm I'm really, I'm still really proud of it. And uh, you know, w- when I see that there's a Comicsology sale, uh, and, and you you can get San Hannibal for a couple bucks, I always I always retweet that because mm-hmm. uh, even though I don't know if I'll ever go back to those characters, I still I still really like that comic. Mm. And how did that? Did, were you were you involved in the? Um, the diamond side of things, or was it something that you did with um, uh, who put it out? Was it uh, um, Pop Goes the Icon or? Yes, good memory. Yeah, <laughs> uh, yeah. PJ Perez over at Pop yes. Goes the Icon. Mm-hmm. He he handled uh, he handled all of that, and that was that was really the 
the the benefit of going with with, with that publisher was I, I had never really done anything with a publisher before, and having someone handle those logistics was uh, was it was great. It, it freed me and, and the other members of the creative team up to just make the comic, mm-hmm. and also just you know you get to go to, into a comic shop and see it on the shelf. You get to open up uh, the previews catalog and, and see it in there. Right. And as, as recently as, I don't know, maybe two or three years ago, I was in a, a comic shop in Kentucky and they had, uh, they still had copies of San Hannibal up on the shelves. Hmm. Uh, and at first I apologized to them. I was like, Oh, I'm sorry. It's still there. <laughs> and then they were like, oh, we've ordered more. Like people like it. Oh, we just wow. like having it around. Yeah. Well, that's good. So, and it, it definitely made me realize having working with a company that will do the distribution for you, that will handle just the the stuff you specifically don't need to do, really frees you up to do better work. Hmm. Yeah, that's uh, it's it's uh, for for a lot of creators now because it's so you know, but, but a lot of uh, self creators <clears throat> who who do everything themselves, and there there is definitely. There's only so many hours in a day, and there's only so much time to to dedicate to all of those those parts of it. And there's so many, it's it's. I've looked at um, the previews and the the whole uh, distribution model, and it's it's kind of overwhelming how how you have to go through so many steps, especially for an independent. You know, that's true. And some people are miracle workers at it. <laughs> I, I looked at Lucy Bellwood, and mm-hmm. uh, and even though. I used to share a studio with Lucy, so I know how stressful that can be. I also, I, I, I'm also just so impressed with the people who are able to keep all of that together, mm-hmm. uh, handle handle printing, shipping, handle you know, uh, people who run Kickstarters. Uh, I, I complete hats off to to people who are able to keep hold of that tiger. Mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> and I think you got to know who you are. You got to know if you're somebody who can do that. Yeah, you got, you got to know at what points you will become unreliable. Yeah. Do you, um, you you mentioned a few conventions? Do you like conventions? Do you like being at them as as a tabler now, or was that always something that you enjoyed doing? Or I do enjoy conventions. Um, I love doing sketches. Uh, I love interacting with people, um, and I I like. You know, there's nothing better than, than meeting a reader or, or making a new fan, I guess. Mm-hmm. But recently, like I, I did Rose City um, two or so months back in Portland, and I started to feel like I was wasting my time. Not like not like conventions are a waste of time, period. Mm. But I started to feel like I I, I have I have tighter deadlines now. And I kind of wish I was back home working. I think that the money that I'm going to make at this show is not worth the stress that I'll have next week trying to catch up. Mm. <laughs> so for for the next, um, probably for the next year or so, I don't think I'm going to. I might I might table at one one or two conventions, but mm-hmm. mostly I'm going to like I'm going to be at Emerald City this year. But I'm just going to be there as a guest. Right. Uh, I'm going to C2E2 just as a guest for a day or two, and then I'm coming home. Yeah. So doing it more casually like that, I'm hoping, will help me uh, help me not burn out and help me maybe rediscover my love for conventions. 
Um, do you have a, like, wh- what is your work schedule like in terms of how, how much time do you need to do each aspect of the job? Because it's, it's, you mentioned there that it is very easy to, you know, I've seen, I've, I've gone to some conventions and you see some people who do a lot of conventions and I just wonder how their time management works in terms of, because you can, you can get, you can go to a convention and it's, you know, two days or it's five days or it's seven days, but it's also days around those days. And, and it's very easy for them to, to kind of eat into your month to when you're, when you should be working. So how, how do you manage your time? Well, I, I think that, uh, that some, some artists, like it's different for different creators. Mm-hmm. Like I, uh, right now my, my main, job is doing Lavender Jack for Webtoon, mm-hmm. uh, which is uh, something that I, I write pencil, ink, and letter. And mm-hmm. I also, you know, I, I oversee the, the colors, and I, I, I uh, you know, some episodes of Lavender Jack have guest artists, mm-hmm. and I, so I'm coordinating with them. Uh, and every episode of Lavender Jack that comes out on Webtoon is approximately seven pages worth of content. So, that's that's a lot for me personally to keep track of, especially when I have other commitments outside of that. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I have a, a book I'm co-writing right now. I have, you know, I, I take on short-term gigs and, and cover jobs and things like that. Mm-hmm. So I I feel like I don't really have the bandwidth because like I I like to spend time with my girlfriend. I like to go on walks <laughs> and things. And so if I if I want to have some kind of a life away from the desk I'm sitting at right now, I, I, I have to I have to be a little bit smarter with my personal time. Mm-hmm. But I also, you know, I, I, I'm friends with Kel McDonald, who just has this, this, I don't know, this, this journeyman way of, of approaching. Oh, well, sorry, journeyman, that's not the right word. I mean, she has this, like, traveling salesman way of doing comics where she it's all about momentum for her she's always doing the next show and then you know in the two or three days in between the shows she sits down and draws and writes and she writes in her hotel room and she just keeps it going that way Mm -hmm. or mike stone who is uh somehow always working at six things at once (laughs) in this sort of zen-like Oh, I'm, I'm, I'm going to just draw. I'm going to draw a little face here, and then I'm going to forget that for a week, and then I'm just going to go back the next week, and I'm going to draw an arm. And like the, the this this weird plastic way of scheduling his time. Uh, and then guys like Jesse Ham, who just never get a chance to to go to any conventions because they're just always working or taking the hour and a half long train from Gresham to downtown Portland every day. <laughs> So it, it, it just depends on who you are. Uh, and I, I also think that maybe when I get a little bit older and a little more seasoned, maybe I'll, maybe it'll just get easier for me and I'll, I'll feel like I have more time to go to conventions. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Hmm. With uh, Lavender Jack, where you're doing all of the, the, every aspect of it pretty much, is, uh, do, you, do you have to spend time with each thing separately? Do you have to separate them or are you able to do be able to do bits and pieces here and there of, of each part or what, what's your, what, what do you, what's your work process like for that? I like to, to do, do it every step at a time. If I can help it, you know, I, I script them out entirely. Then I pencil them entirely, ink them entirely like that. Mm-hmm. Um, just because 
I kind of carry, I carry a decent amount of lavender jack in my head. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there's a lot, a lot of cases where I'm kind of finding, finding the 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 flow of the story in the pencils. I'm I'm kind of feel I'm feeling out how the characters are acting at the thumbnail stage, and since it's a little more amorphous like that, it's really helpful if I can just do it all in one go. Mm-hmm. So that I, I, I make fewer mistakes. Also, it's you know it's set in 1905. People are, are wearing fancy clothes. <laughs> I try and change up the costumes, and so if you know if, if a character is wearing a dress that she's only going to wear in this one episode, it's good if I can just draw all of her panels at once. Right. So I don't have to keep track of whether or not there's frills on this one. <laughs> As um, with, with the the you, you mentioned. Um, I think you said 2016 going or, or working digitally in 2016. Um, well, is that something that you're leaning more into now, or is that something that you play around with but you still work analog? I am now almost entirely digital. Uh-huh. It's in fact, I, I had a, a job in the summer where I was required to draw four pages traditionally, mm-hmm. and uh, and I. It, it took me like a day to get used to it again. I've been I've been drawing digitally for the last two years now, um, but I don't think I'd be able to draw digitally as well as I can if I hadn't drawn traditionally the whole time. Like mm-hmm. all twelve issues of the Spirit, I drew traditionally. Every page of the Foul and San Hannibal, that's all traditionally done, and mm-hmm. that teaches you, you know, the permanence of the line. It teaches you the importance of planning, so that once I started working digitally, I had this firm foundation of how to compose a page and you know how to how to be careful with with how I set things down informing this new freedom I had with the digital space hmm. and I think that's incredibly helpful I I imagine there are a lot of artists out there and I've heard people say this who are paralyzed by the blank digital canvas hmm. I, I I made a line ah shit control Z <laughs> in fact one of my favorite things to do is uh if I can walk around on the first day of a convention, like the first hour, and go around the artist alley and just see if I can catch an artist doing the the control Z left hand motion on a on a table, <laughs> <laughs> just out of out of pure muscle memory. <laughs> uh, yeah, no, I, I like digital art. It frees you up to do a lot of stuff. Uh, I feel like it's I feel like my art is better now than it ever was before. Mm-hmm. But um, I also think. Just like how I don't want to do conventions right now, I feel like there's going to come a time where it's going to be time to work traditionally again. Mm-hmm. And I'll, I'll know it when I get to it. Right. And hopefully that's when I'm working on a character big enough that people won't want to buy the original pages. <laughs> do you, um, how, how long do you spend on at each aspect? You said um, uh, Lavender Jack is seven pages, right? Per, and it's mm-hmm. weekly, so... Um, how does it break down time-wise for you to do each each part of that? Well, the so I, it's it's all one continuous scroll. So that's that's sort of how I how I pencil it. That takes about two and a half days to mm-hmm. do the pencils. Um, the inks clip by pretty fast. Uh, I can usually get those done in two days, and then the lettering is a day. Right. So then that usually gives me, you know one and a half to two days where I'm not actively producing a segment mm-hmm. and I can use those to to write or 
maybe sometimes work on, on other things mm-hmm. or see a movie with my girlfriend. <laughs> Do you have a strict uh, clocking in, clocking out approach or is it just as and when you're, you're able to get to the table or the tablet? Uh, I, it's more when I, when I get to it because mm. I, feel, I feel like I'm someone who benefits from getting into more of a flow. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and I found that if I force myself to sit down and eat, I'll just waste time because <laughs> I'm not ready yet. Right. Uh, and then, you know, I, uh, <laughs> there's this, this short New Yorker uh, film about this, this famous philosopher who's played by Paul Giamatti, mm. uh, who supposedly every day he drank 50 cups of coffee. <laughs> so that the short film follows him through every single cup of coffee as, as he continues like to to become a little more erratic mm. and, and the effects of the coffee are starting to hit him a little bit more both in his head and in his bowels and he, he keeps on starting to try and work starting to try and create but he's only at cup like 35 <laughs> so he's not there yet and it's only it's only once it's 2.30 in the afternoon and he's finally finished cup 50 he's like ah I finally have it and he sits down and writes something profound that we still remember to this day. <laughs> I think it's kind of like that, you know, you got to you got to know when you're when you've hit that 50th cup of coffee and you're finally ready to do that good work. Yeah. And the key to my success is that it, such as it is <laughs> is that I uh, I have a I have enough knowledge of when I'm ready to work that I can pounce on it as soon as I am. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas a lot of people uh, seem to run into trouble waiting for that moment, but they've been waiting so long for it, they've gotten engaged in something else. They're playing a video game, they're watching a movie, they're out at a bar or something, and mm. the moment is upon them, but they can't get to work. Right. Were you, um, were you, were you ever balancing another job and, and creating, or were you able to go pretty much straight into creating after school? Oh, no, I, I was working... I was working just regular jobs for, uh, I, I, I stopped going to college when I was 20 and mm-hmm. I started doing comics full time when I was 25. Okay. So there was five years in, in there where I was, you know, I, I worked at, at Blake Art Materials, I worked at Starbucks, mm-hmm. worked for Top Tier. Um, my, my longest job and the last job I was doing before I, I switched over to doing comics full time was... I sold suits at J.C. Penney. Mm. <laughs> so, you know, you, yeah, nobody wants to work a day job, but sometimes that's just kind of where you need to be. Mm. Yeah. Are you, do you feel that you're at the stage now where people are asking you for advice, where you're seeing young creators come in and they're asking you, are they giving you their, their books and you're, you're flicking through and getting ready to draw their panels, <laughs> redraw their panels or... <laughs> Uh, yeah, actually, that does happen a lot. I'm I'm pretty approachable. Uh-huh. Uh, I, I have I have kind eyes and, and a <laughs> soft voice, and so uh, and also I I appear older than I am. So people people do approach me a lot, um, especially now that I'm doing Lavender Jack and I've got this younger audience. I, um, I I'm getting you know Twitter messages, mm-hmm. and Facebook messages, things like that from from them. Um, and it's, it's, it's tough. It's different now than it used to be. Um, and I feel like 
people are coming into comics with different priorities than they were even five years ago. Um, and so I, I don't think that a lot of, a lot of younger people or, or even just older people who, who, you know, just have aspirations of getting into comics. Mm -hmm. I don't think a lot of them are getting good, um, I guess, technical feedback. There's a lot of like, you know, keep practicing and follow your dreams, but there's not a lot of, you know, you're using black as a value, not as a structural element, and therefore your backgrounds all look really empty. Mm -hmm. So I try and provide that kind of feedback because if the person has has skill, that's going to resonate with them. They're going to know what to do with that. Mm -hmm. um, it, and I, I, I don't get people asking me for writing advice very often because writers tend not to ask for advice. Mm. But... Um, but w when I do get asked for writing advice, I give similar types of, like, n not so much. You gotta write what you believe. Mm. More like, you gotta you gotta stop uh, starting your scene so early. Right. <laughs> you, you gotta stop using. <laughs> you, 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 I, I need you to stop writing scenes that are telling me what's happening in the scene. It's mm. distracting. <laughs> Yeah, it's true. Most writers aren't. Um, they kind of cultivate that loner, um, almost curmudgeonly uh, persona. They're, 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 it's you, true. Yeah. You don't really get many... Um, I mean, you have drink and draws at conventions, but you don't get many drink and rights. Or <laughs> Yeah, a lot of the drink and rights tend to be solo activities. <laughs> um, also, I feel like um, writers, writers in general, have sort of bigger opinions of themselves, mm. whereas artists in general are more willing to kind of do do the do the bowing. We are not worthy type thing, <laughs> and that's honestly really useful when you want advice from people. Yeah, uh, like being willing to at least temporarily sort of uh, what's the word? Kind of prostrate yourself before somebody is a great way to make them want to help you, mm -hmm. as long as you're not. Don't do it too much because then they don't want to help you because you need it too much. <laughs> um, what, what's uh, tell me more about the uh, webtoon? Because um, I've, I've <coughs> I know a couple of creators now who are, who are using it and are, are, are producing work for it. Um, and with uh, Lavender Jack, I think um, you've got like twenty something episodes, maybe. Um, That's right. Yeah. How, how does it work? What What is the? Why are people going more onto Webtoon, and, and you mentioned there's a younger audience there, and um, how did that come about for you? Well, for me, I, I was asked to pitch something to Webtoon uh -huh. uh, by one of the editors, and, uh, and I, I developed Lavender Jack with, with Becca Caden, with that editor, mm -hmm. um, who, uh, so, and, and we sort of tailored it to be a little bit more of a fit for their audience. Yeah. Which ended up, in my opinion, making it a stronger, a stronger comic. Mm -hmm. um, I set out with Lavender Jack to do something that was uh, sort of in the, in the vein of my old foul stories, but with more of a, I don't know, more of a fancy kind of feminine touch. And, uh, and Becca really helped, I think, get it, get it in the direction I wanted it to be while maintaining the, the cool kind of noir mystery element of it mm -hmm. uh, 
in, in, she also really helped me understand the webtoon format, which is, I mean, comics have been talking for 25 years about trying to be more cinematic. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and that's always just meant the panel is as wide as the page. But webtoon is legitimately cinematic. Mm. Uh, it works like film in that you're only ever looking at one panel at a time. Mm-hmm. Um, but it operates like a comic. You control the flow of events. And I feel like that makes a really intimate, immediate reading experience. Yeah, uh, It opens you up for types of surprise, uh, types of humor, because every single panel is a page turn. Um, and I think people find that really exciting. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think cr- uh, from the creator standpoint, it's cool that it's weekly. It's cool that it's on your phone. Mm. Uh, it's, it's cool that you know, like every cartoonist started out wanting to do a, a newspaper strip. I, I truly believe this. Mm. I think everybody was was four years old and and looking at, you know, a Mary Worth strip and thinking it would be cool to do that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Maybe not four. No four old wants to do anything. <laughs> but it, it, bare minimum you read Calvin and Hobbes when you were, you know, in, in elementary school and, and you were like, Man, this is so much fun. Yeah. Why is everything this fun? And Webtoon is like that. It's like a, a newspaper strip. In fact, it's it's even formatted like those those tall, like side strips in the uh, Sunday funnies. Mm-hmm. And I I don't know. I, I think it's it's exciting. It's new. Uh, it's been around for for long enough that you kind of have some confidence that it's going to still be around. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I. I don't know who else was going to pay for my, like, <laughs> you know, queer Edwardian karate mystery comic. <laughs> uh, so, you know, it worked out. Yeah. Is, is there an element of, uh, I mean, when you're creating, do you have to really let go of this sense of, like, at some stage this is going to be on a page and you just have to say, no, I have to completely let go and let it be what it is or is there still an idea of it like being that traditional comic book thing but it's just panel to panel well it's it's exactly what you said you have to let go and let it be this format Mm -hmm. um every week someone somebody new asks me if we're going to do a collected edition and i i would love to do a, a print edition at some point and if it comes down to that we'll we'll figure out how to format it mm-hmm. um you know we'll probably have to redraw some panels turn some Turn some things into splash pages for pacing. We'll have to reletter it, but I'm I, I don't have that in my head right now because I know that if I was trying to format it for two things at once, I'd do a half measure hmm. and it wouldn't it wouldn't be as good as it is. And I even still I want it to be better than it is. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I always want my product to be stronger. I want my I want the moments to be more profound. I want the characters to be more relatable and 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 for their for what they're going through to hit the audience harder. Mm-hmm. But I. I wouldn't be able to make it as good as it is if I was also somehow trying to hedge my bets for a project I might do in two years. Hmm. Hmm. Do you do you find that you have to be more present online? You mentioned that you were getting messages on on Twitter and Facebook. Is that something that you have to to have now as a creator? It's certainly something that I should be doing more. <laughs> uh, and I, I I I do I am online more since Lavender Jack came on. Uh, when Lavender Jack, before it launched, I think I had something like 600 followers. Now I have over 1,000 on Twitter. Um, and, and every time a new update posts, I get another batch of followers. 
Um, but also, I, I'm, I'm trying to, I'm, I'm a big believer in that Ron Swanson, you know, whole last one thing quote. Uh, and I'm trying, I'm trying to make sure that I don't get so caught up in being the guy that makes the comic mm-hmm. that I get in the way of making the comic. Yeah. Um, that's, in fact, that's the big lesson that I learned going back to learning about comics history. Like uh, what, what made Bob Kane and Will Eisner success was they were able to be the guy that makes the comic. They're able to kind of build this cult of personality around themselves because they had a crew of people who were taking over more and more of the task of actually making Batman or the spirit. Mm-hmm. As if you look at the nineties, you had, you know, like the, the image boom creators mm-hmm. who got really caught up in the cult of personality, but they were one person shows. And so their comics stopped coming out. Mm-hmm. And you know, that's why we, we still like that, That's why we were so devastated this week by the loss of Stan Lee but we only remember a handful of the image creators because a lot of them lost grip of the rope. Mm-hmm. And I'm trying not to do that. It'd be such a shame if I if, if I let this project on Webtoon turn me into somebody who lost grip of the rope because there's so much less money than there was in Image in the 90s. <laughs> it's the, the stakes are so much lower. Hmm. And I feel like the working conditions are so much nicer that I, I just... It, it, I, I'd really just feel like a rube if this is where I, I bit the dirt. <laughs> um, how long do you do you see Lavender Jack going on? Is that something that you you can keep going forever and ever, or is there an ending that you have in mind for it? Or? We have uh, this first season planned out, mm-hmm. um, and it's this this first season will end uh, a little bit into next year. Mm-hmm. Um, if, if everything goes to plan, it should end. Uh, actually, I, I won't say when it should end because maybe, maybe that'll change. Mm. Uh, but we, we do have an, an end for this story arc in place. And right. uh, if there's enough reader response, I'd love to do more of it. Um, I, I have ideas for what a next season of Lavender Jack would look like. Mm-hmm. Uh, I have ideas for a series. You know, the, the, the principal character in Lavender Jack is uh, Madame Theresa Ferrier, this uh, you know, older uh, de- detective who's sort of in the in the twilight of her career, mm-hmm. and I, I have a lot of ideas, a lot of like notes and and reference material for what a kind of abbreviated retrospective of her career would look like. You know, starting when she's nineteen, and then leading up to uh, you know probably forty or so. I'd love to do that series, mm-hmm. and I actually, in some ways, that series might be one of like at least on paper, it looks like one of the maybe best things I've ever come up with. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's all about whether or not people respond enough to this world and these characters to want more of it. Mm. If they if they do, I have it, and if they don't, I'm I'm just flattered they've stuck with it this far. <laughs> and where can uh, where can people find your work? Well, they can uh, find Lavender Jack on Webtoon. Mm-hmm. Just go to webtoon.com. Uh, and search for Lavender Jack. Uh, I do that every week, every Tuesday, uh, with colors by Jen Manley Lee and editorial by Beck Caden and Bree Boswell. Uh, you can also just go to my, my Twitter, because every week I do a, a new Lavender Jack post where I do kind of like, uh, I, I, t- I talk about that week's issue and I, I feature some comments from the Webtoon site and 
uh, talk to fans and things like that. It's, it's, it's a good time. It's actually probably the thing I look forward to most every week. Excellent. I'll, I'll put links in the uh, show notes. And uh, Much obliged. Thank you. Yeah, thank you. Thanks a lot for talking, Dan. Oh, my pleasure. This was a great conversation. Thanks for having me on. That's it for the show. We'll be back in two weeks. You can find us online at whoiampodcast.com and contact us by email at whoiam at gmail.com or by phone at 818-308-4066. If you'd like to be a guest on the show, there is a submissions form on the site. We're also on iTunes where you can leave a rating if you feel inclined. Thank you for listening. I'm your host, Jamie Gamble, and this was This Is Who I Am.